and I heard this whooshing, like whooshing above my head. Uncovering some of the most amazing stories from some of the most talented innovators and creatives in marketing tech and digital. This is the Wonderful People Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People Podcast. Not just any episode, but the uh, the Christmas episode, the last one of 2020. So uh, instead of asking you, Phil, about your week, I'm going to ask you about your year. So oh give God. me, yeah, yeah. Now this could this could turn into a counselling session very quickly. So give me a couple of minutes of your highlights and some things that have stuck out to you this year, apart from the obvious. Right. Well, that's a killer. I want to give you a few words that actually I've never, never normally had these words in our dialogue. It's not something that you would even think of, but I would think words like furlough, pandemic, quarantine. Clapping, masks, vaccine, two meters, hands, face, space. I'll kill Boris if he ever says that again. Uh, tears. You know, I've always thought of tears as crying, not tears. One, two, three. Yeah. Lockdown and maybe even toilet rolls. So, so from a words perspective, I'd say they pretty much sum up. Oh my goodness. Year. If and you say those words, it doesn't. That doesn't actually sound like a good year, does it? If you put all those words together, like you have, no, uh, yeah. But there, there's been some really lovely things actually, and I think probably for us, we we moved to Bromley five years ago. Uh, we moved into all new houses in the middle of a golf course. Nobody knew each other. None of the neighbours knew each other, uh, and the sort of place it is, you'd think that sometimes people with a few bob can be a little bit snobby. You know, if you're being honest, and they were just they have been so wonderful, like from start to finish. And they they people will knock on your door just seeing they're popping into Bromley to the shops and can they get you anything? And and the clapping, I think that idea, whoever came up with that for just going out on a Thursday and all clapping, seeing your neighbours, just such a lovely, lovely thing to happen. And so all the bad stuff. I'm going to forget about all that, really, because it's that could go on for hours and hours. We did have our 45th wedding anniversary in the middle of it all. That was wow. uh, We spent two years planning, and we had 60 people joining us. We'd all booked hotels, and uh, that, that obviously all got cancelled. So uh, our anniversary was just me and Babs. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're definitely Billy No Mates. Uh, Poor lady. All in all, all in all, it's just been lovely because we've got our health everyone stayed clear of any any of the dodginess that's going around at the moment and we're really looking forward to 2021 and you Dan tell me about some of your highlights yeah I mean it's been it's been a it's been a year of of those words as you've mentioned and and many highlights being honest with you I don't I'm not saying this because we're on the podcast one of my highlights has genuinely been the people we've interviewed on the wonderful people podcast I think I've been so inspired and encouraged by people's stories you know people have gone through you know tough times before economically and personally and they've come through and are genuinely wonderful people and I I've loved not only hearing about their journey, but some of the insights into their lives, you know, the ups and downs and the reality of life. And um, yeah, just some of those little bits of gold, nuggets of gold we've heard have been absolutely brilliant. 
I mean, I know you've enjoyed it as well. I mean, it, give me some of those nuggets that you you kind of really enjoyed because you know some of these people and you got to know their story. So, what have you loved about it? Yeah, well, I've actually I know all of them to lesser degrees. Some of them I've I've known really really well, but even yeah. those people, some of the things they told us were a surprise to me. They they were just incredible. Right. Um, I suppose amongst the highlights. Um, that, that made me giggle was Jeff Conan of the Groucho Club just chatting about Jules Holland, Bono and Tom Jones all being around the piano singing and nobody at the Groucho showed any interest whatsoever. They just carried on drinking. I thought, what a story. Pretty cool. I thought Steve Abbott, uh, that is Candle in the Wind story with Elton John, how he managed to get Elton singing at Lady Di's funeral and pull that together within days was quite an incredible story. And with a little twist that he gave us, that was a, a little coup in there. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Carney, the chief exec of Special Olympics, she was just incredible. And she spoke about one of the basketball gold medalists, Niall Guit, who drew pictures of 26 football grounds to raise 250 pound and I think he's now over £5,000 and he's just given him something that he's achieved, which is just like incredible. And I think the work that they do at Special Olympics is amazing anyway. And probably finally, um, Gary Mabbott, uh, his story with diabetes, I knew vaguely, but right. I had no idea of the detail of just what it meant playing with, with diabetes all those years. And what was incredible is that they've they've actually got this new technology called Libra that he could have now that would stop him taking jabs every day. And he won't do it until it's available to everyone in the country. And I think that just says a lot about him. And the way that he came across in our interview, I thought was like unbelievable. What a really lovely man. Maybe finish on Jonathan Cummings, based over in China, where it's been a bit interesting over these last few years with their various little arguments with Donald. <laughs> um, and I think Jonathan really summed it up by saying, just say yes. And I think everything in his life that has happened, that's been good as is as a result of him just saying yes to something when asked and, and he's still on that journey, but he's in a fantastic role now. So there are a few of my personal highlights, but there are hundreds out of those podcasts. And absolutely. Like you, I've really enjoyed them. Brilliant. Yeah, no, definitely a highlight of the year. But I want to also find out what does a wonderful Christmas look like for Phil? You know, what is what <laughs> what, what what goes on around the Jones household? Not, you know, I don't want to tell all, but I want to find out a few few bits of uh, what I would call key Christmas information. Oh dear. I'm going to quiz you for a couple of minutes. So here we go. First one, favourite carol or song? I think, well, Carol, it's got to be our, our guest today. She's my favourite Carol, without a doubt. <laughs> um, but I would say Ding Dong Medley on High. And uh, why that one? Because Babs always trumps in with the harmonics. And listening to Babs doing harmonics is just to die for. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Brussels sprouts, yes or no? Uh, yes. I actually love them. I hated them when I was young. But somehow, as you get older, you can't do without them. There's maturity for you. Right. Main meat, turkey or beef? 
Both. Both. Just stick, stick them all on the same plate. Good answer. Good and, answer. And lamb as well. <laughs> Do you? And lamb as well. Any of them. No, just anything that goes on that plate is going to get <laughs> wafted at Christmas. Just stick it on the plate. I like it. Best present or ideal present? Anything that involves the children. So in our case, now grandchildren. Yeah. Or anything that involves them in some way where they're either coming around or singing or whatever that that's really all it takes it's not, not really material things anymore lovely lovely brilliant answer queen's speech yes or no definitely yes i think she's amazing absolutely I, I can't imagine anyone having a problem with the queen yeah they're absolutely right last question is father christmas real phil jones yes or no most definitely yes good of course it is good you yeah. heard it here first kids Anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying. You heard it from Phil Jones here. Absolutely, yes, he's real. Right, and Phil, over to today's guest. And today, I would like to introduce one of the creative industry's best-loved characters and voices, the wonderful Carol Whitworth. She's founder of Employee Experience Consultancy Home, and lead singer of Bristol's ultimate party and festival band, Doreen Doreen. Whether it's taken the US by storm or Glastonbury, one thing is certain, everything this lady does is full of passion and personality. Today, we're gonna to be talking about everything from creativity to crabs and playing at Glastonbury. And we'll also find out a little bit more about how home was built, what makes it special and how it feels to be nearing 40 years in business. Over to you, Dan. Well, welcome, Carol. Hi there, Dan. It's great to have you on as a guest uh, for this episode, and we've got loads to go through. So I'm going to crack straight into the first question, because I already know we've got some amazing stories coming up. If you were to be stuck in a lift, Carol, with someone, who would it be and why? Well, I've had many famous people in lifts, so to speak, not actually <laughs> them. But um, about two years ago, I met Leo Say in a lift. His career was on the down, but he was oh. going up. Um, <laughs> but I used to love Leo Say back in the day. Um, and then in the sort of 80s, I met Deepesh Mode in a lift, and they were definitely on the up, but they were also quite high, I think. Um, but that was when they were more basled than LA, and they were really sweet lads, and I loved them. I'd love to meet Adele, but I'm not sure what skinny Adele, whether she's going to be that much fun, really. You know, a new album is going to be called Seven, you know, because she's 25 and 37 because she's lost seven stone. And um, <laughs> and then uh, I really would have liked to have met Mike, George Michael. I never met George Michael. I saw him at a Prince concert, but I loved him. And I think he loves big girls and he loved his mom and his sister. And I think him and I would have gone on really, really well. And I would have loved to have sung with him. So that's my lift. That's my lift. Wow. What an eclectic group that is. Well, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, Carol, obviously, we, Phil said about almost 40 years at home. But how did a coal miner's daughter from Northumberland end up running an award-winning consultancy and agency down in Bristol? Um, so... I failed my 11 plus, which is, I think is, it, it was a pivotal moment in my life and went to an all girls secondary modern school where I was top of the class because I shouldn't have really been there, but I just was hopeless at exams and got really into art then. And uh, my mom and dad, who were pretty poor, you know what I mean, working class, were really determined to get me to university. 
So I went to university and I was the first Whitworth to get to university, which was great. And I was really arty and studied, first of all, at Huddersfield. Uh, was a polytechnic then. And my teacher there was a guy called Wilf Lund. Do you know who he is? No. Do, have you ever seen uh, Vision On back in the day? Yep. So Vision On um, was a, a art programme with Tony Hart. And Wilf Lund was one of the presenters on there. And he used to oh. teach me, so he was really inventive. So I went to Huddersfield for a foundation, then did my degree in Stoke-on-Trent. I got a first. I won the Royal, Royal, um, Royal Society of Arts um, bursary for the best student in the whole of 1979. Wow. Um, and then I got a job, and my job was in Sweden. And it was at the height of ABBA, which was fantastic. <laughs> and it was in a company called Creab. And I'd never even flown an aeroplane before, guys. And they picked me up at Birmingham Airport in a private jet. <laughs> wow. And took me to Sweden. Well, my, my mother thought I was made. And I mean, Carol's got a private jet. She'll have a company car next. <laughs> anyway, we, um, we, I started work there. And it was really quite boring work. We um, they worked for the Swedish Tory party. I'm not very Tory sort of a person, and I was doing posters for the Swedish Tories, which was called the Moderata. So I met lots of lovely people, enjoyed the food and the sort of life there, but the work was really boring. So I came back to Bristol, and I got a job in an art gallery called Arnold Feeney, which was like the equivalent of the ICA in London, and. Uh, at the typesetters, whose guy was called Malcolm and Vic, the typesetters, Phil knows about typesetting. <laughs> I used to meet people in the typesetters and they loved me, these two lads. And um, they introduced me to a woman who needed artwork and design doing. She had a studio in her offices. She was a translator and I set up my business. And through the typesetters, God bless the soul, I didn't even know whether they were still alive, but um, they helped me set my business up. And it's been non-stop since then. We did lots wow. of theatre work in the beginning and arts work because of the Arnold Feeney stuff. And um, that's how I did it. And then I, I changed tack about uh, 15 years ago to do the employee experience on, in, in internal comms and stuff. And that's where, where I got where I was. And I think it, it was a very crowded marketplace, the world of design, and in the um, last recession, I've been through about 20 recessions in, in 40 years. But in the one that was 2008, there were people who'd been in business for years who have dropped like flies and uh, had too many eggs in one basket. And I realized that we needed to specialize. And so we looked at a body of work, saw that we're really good at employee experience and internal comms and went for it. And it was the best decision I ever made because... People turned their nose up at that, thinking it was like crappy newsletters. I haven't done a newsletter since 2008, I swear to you. Amazing. And it's brand from the inside out, basically. And I noticed that people like Wolf Orleans and all those fancy pants, Radley Elding and all these people that Phil didn't know about, they're all jumping on my bandwagon, but get back, you B-A-S-T-A-R-D-S's. <laughs> I'm here. So that's how we do it. Uh, well, I, I was going to my next question about the journey, the 40-year journey and how you've adapted throughout that period. And you've, you've actually just covered, covered some of that off. But, you know, to, to still be going 
next year is your 40th year. Yeah. And to still be going in your 40th year is quite an exceptional achievement. You know, when you think how many of the big agencies that were were there back in the day, like back in the 80s, there you've just mentioned Wolf Olins and Radley Elder there. Mm-hmm. There were tons of them that were like really high yeah. agencies. The Smith and Milton's and the and uh, what do you call the other ones? Boss Talk and Pollocks or whatever they're called. Yeah, they've gone. They've You've gone. Got to say that the right way around, or else, isn't <laughs> it? Um, and the Michael Peters. Yeah, I, I missed out a whole chunk. I, I'd worked as a, uh, a lecturer in art school. I did a bit in Lancaster. That was the big place to work at the time. Lancaster Poly, wasn't it? It was a great place. I think the, I think the, um, the guys from Start went there, I think. Then it was called Preston. Preston Poly, now yeah. Lancashire is Poly. now. Yeah. yeah. So I did a stint working there a bit. Yeah. Uh, I did some down in uh, Plymouth uh, at Falmouth Art School. But I did five, six years in SCAT in Somerset College of Art, Taunton. And I had students who went on to work at... at um, Smith and Milton and went on to work at Michael Peters and pretty fancy places mm-hmm. that to this day they're still in touch with me and and you know write to me and say you changed my life and you did this that and the other and I just oh, was lovely. I was only just being Carol and encouraging them and getting them to come out of a comfort zone because sometimes they can be a bit boring these creative types too precious with their ideas you know <laughs> But there was um, mentioning the changes there. Was, was there a a particular piece of business that you won, or something that you did that changed the whole structure of the business, and like well, the one that opened the doors that you didn't think you would ever open? Well, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, we have been on the Royal Mail roster since 1981. 1991. That's pretty amazing. And they've been through many, many permutations with Johnson Banks getting on there and getting kicked off. Um, Stark were on there for a while, Rufus Leonard. And there's Carol and the Carol and the homies, or Carol and the by designers were as we were then, have been doing their work since 1991, which is pretty amazing. And that thing, at one time I had 72 clients in Royal Mail alone. Not great for your business to have so many eggs in one basket, but yeah. they were in different parts of Old Street. <laughs> wow. So I would go down Old Street, which I called the Golden Mile, scooping up jobs as I went. It was like, I'll see you next, Carol. And of course, all of those people went somewhere else. As, as Royal Mail changed and uh, it's having another renaissance now, I know, because with all the home shopping and everything and the lockdowns, but they all moved on. And there's several of them there. I must have been to 10 businesses with them. And I said, why do you keep taking me? And they go, you make me look good and I get promotion and I got it. So I keep that job and then they take me where they go the next thing. And one last, I've been, you know, five different great jobs. She's got a really good job now. I think she's speaking to people like me is a bit beneath her, but um, (laughs) she would laugh at me. But I did exactly the same thing when I went to America. I don't know, you you might be going to ask me about America, I think, because that was... Carol was bored stiff in Bristol, right? I was getting bigger uh, in terms of, not my size, but my business. (laughs) And um, we started winning banks, and I've never, ever worked with such boring things as 
banks. I, 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 um, I went to one meeting in the bank and this woman rang up the account director afterwards because I went, because nobody was in London but me and I went to the meeting. And this woman told the account director that I was underwhelming. Well, I said to this woman, I said, of all the people in the world, if you asked every single person that knows me to describe Carol with one word, nobody would ever say underwhelming. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. I just could not. I rang up and said that to her. So I hated the banks. And I said to my business partner at the time, oh, I absolutely hate these banks. I'm bored stiff. I feel like an adventure. So I took off to America and I went to two conferences on internal communications. And these conferences were interesting because it was everybody from big businesses in America, but they were talking a load of shite, shite, <laughs> these people. And I just started heckling in the audience. And I was heckling about stuff and I would ask questions that they couldn't answer. And people would come up to me and go, here's my card, can you come and see me? And here, presto, I started winning jobs. On one table, I had six people on the table. I got four jobs from that one lot of heckling. And so I thought this is like shooting fish in a barrel, this sort of thing. <laughs> so um, we started getting invited to things and we won a job in the tech space, which I've never worked in the tech space before. And uh, it was for a company called EMC, which they've got had offices as you come in the M4 on the uh, at uh, Brentford, as you come in on the left. And I went there. And when the guy who I saw he says, "You sound like you sound like the guy who's our um, head, our chief marketing officer. You need to meet him." So I went with my designs and met him. And he's going, "Where do you come from?" I says, "I come from Ashton." He says, "So do I." Well, he he lives in San Francisco. <laughs> What are the chances? What are the chances if he's from Ashton? And so, and so we started talking about stuff. So it was amazing that I went all the way to America in my first juicy job. And the job, in my opinion, that changed the whole of my business was from a lad from Ashton. <laughs> 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 and who likes football? He's a Sunderland supporter, so I'm not that bothered. No, he's a Middlesbrough supporter, so I'm not that bothered. You know what I mean? But... um. <laughs> He, uh, so we got a really great opportunity and we did a job that was groundbreaking in that we won every award going in the, in the arena of internal communications. And it was just amazing game changer that changed my business and launched home in America in one fair swoop. Wow. And there, uh, about four years ago, uh, they joined forces with Dell and we did the world's largest tech merger, all of the thinking and the strategy and the design around that merger. And that was another great job. Wow. And the client who was at, uh, and this is how it goes, the client who was at EMC, she went to Dell, obviously, because she was there. And then last year, she joined um, Cisco as chief communications officer, chief communications officer, which is a board member. And she introduced me to the other board members and we're working with them. In the last two years, they've won the greatest place to work in the world. And we've helped them with that, with that wow. stuff. And so 
what I was had planned to do before the lockdown happened was to take my business to California properly rather than just in a random way. So that's my plan as soon as we're allowed to go over there is to have home California because I need the sun. And that's, wow. That's, <laughs> that's the mad what? story. And, and I think um, lots, lots of people ask me, how can you help me with my business? If people want me to help them to get to America and do that, but uh, you have to be prepared to for me to be brutal with you because it, just because you're good at graphics or you're quite good at branding or you're good at websites isn't quite the thing. You've got to sell them something that they haven't got. That's incredible. What an incredible story. And there's, I mean, there's so much there we could unpack. One particular thing I wanted to unpack just in the next question was around the awards. You said, you know, that mm-hmm. that, that seems to be a kind of, you've been recognised for your work and all the awards you've won, is there one particular that stands out for you over the rest? Or is there something that you think, do you know what, really proud of that? We've won some great awards and I, I, I am proud. We win agencies of the year in organisations like um, IABC, in International Association of Business Communicators and um Design Week, we've won awards for, but I think that the DBA, a Design Effectivist Award, is a great one to win. And we've won that a few years ago with a Royal Mail job, in fact. Um, sadly, I didn't win it with the EMC project, which we, I believe I told Deborah that I should have won. <laughs> but um, what happened was I could, we couldn't get signed off the facts you have proper stats to, and we couldn't get the stats signed off because they were in the middle of a merger. You see what I mean? Yeah. And she wouldn't, you can't break the rules for me because you know me because I couldn't get the stats in time. I got the stats a week later and she said, you, you probably would have won, but it was just how the rules are, you know, rules, rules is rules. rules. But I think uh, to win any award is great. I often say if I don't award that, if I don't win, then it's probably fixed. That we didn't win, but <laughs> <laughs> didn't you win the happiest workplace award? The happiest place to work in the country, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Talking of happy workplaces, obviously, we can't go through an interview without talking about lockdown, as boring as it is. But how have the homies been doing during lockdown, and how have you been sort of helping your clients to engage their remote workforces? Well, we've been the homies. Of we we pivoted into lockdown pretty well, although we missed each other and there was a bit of micromanaging going on here and there, which was tricky. But all in all, we did really well. I struggled to brainstorm on a digital Miro board. Yeah, I, I, I'm like I was doing this sort of thing and you know like showing it on the screen like that. Um, but that is great. We uh, created a whole set of toolkits from day one of lockdown to help our clients cope with all sorts of things that might come across in lockdown. It's on our website if you want to have a look down. They're, they're really um, great toolkits with every aspect of lockdown from well-being to uh, managing disparate people around the world to, you know, like not micromanaging people and that sort of thing. And we've helped a few clients um with their back-to-work campaigns and different things like that. And uh, I think when it first happened, we lost £150,000 worth of work on day one of lockdown. Wow. It wasn't like lost, it was just postponed. And slowly that's all 
come back, you know, all of it come back. We also did quite a lot of work for brand new businesses that we never worked with before in businesses that were thriving in lockdown. So people like Wilco, which which was, was one of the clients we've done some work with, um, Perno Records, all the drinks people have come back to us and we're just talking to a business that makes tin soups at the moment, which is quite exciting. Tin soups and tin pies. <laughs> this is going to be great because I, I, um, I, I, I love one of them tin pies. Mum's you know, the word. You know, the ones you have in caravans. We're not allowed to mention them yet. No, my favourite is Holland's meat and potato pie. Oh, I know, I love them. Can I take you back to New York for a sec? Because you told me a little story a while back about a logo that you'd mm-hmm. seen that you really like the look of and a, a little... Oh, it's great. It's good. I am... Um, Second Avenue Deli. Yeah. Just I, was the yeah. story, because I thought it was amazing. I was living in New York, Dan, and uh, had a lovely flat right in the centre of the, of the West Village. But I used to like going up to to the Second Avenue Deli, which is actually on Third Avenue. But well, that's another story. Um, and I, I would, you wait and you get seated and the lovely Jewish guy, I said to him, I love your logo. And it was like Second Avenue Deli um, was like stacked on top of each other. And it looks like um, Hebrew writing. I was going, I love that logo. He says, oh, a local designer did that. Um, we swapped them for dinners. Oh, hang on a minute. He's here. Come and meet him. It was only Milton Glaser. Do you know what I mean? My floor dropped because the, the guy knew that I, because I, I told him I was a designer. The guy knew that I'd know him. But it was like, oh, my God. He was a bit grumpy because I didn't, I was interrupting his matzo ball soup. But <laughs> it was great to meet a real hero, design hero in sort of weird circumstances. And good to know that the uh, heroes do swapsies for dinners. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. That's a nice story. I think Patrick Bagley, who we interviewed. He's interviewed him, hasn't he? He interviewed Milton Glaser, but I wish you'd have known that story before because that would have been quite a nice little piece to mention in his interview. Yeah. And I think Gary did a project, uh, did a course with Milton Glaser before he died. Not Gary because he's still alive, but Milton Glaser. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I thought you mean Gary. You're talking about Gary Cook. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's worth putting in the second names because we're assuming everybody knows who we're talking about. Oh, yeah, when, okay. when you mentioned Deborah. Yeah, Dame De- Deborah Daunton. Dame Deborah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what her, her um, passion is, by the way? This is a really silly one, completely off what she's really into, Deborah. Well, I know she likes her gardening and her chutneys. Cranes. Cranes. Oh, yeah, of course she does. <laughs> she loves cranes. Cranes. I, I would say she likes an erection, but that was that's the wrong sort of thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Takes all sorts, takes all sorts, Dan. Enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Uh, now, music has played a, a massive part in your life, and I'd love it if you could share with us the Doreen Doreen story. And, and then move on to what it's like playing at Glastonbury. Well, tell us the story. So I've, I've got three passions. One is four passions. People, cooking, design, and music. And uh, at school, I learned to play the guitar and used to do concerts uh, for the whole school, like Mary Hopkins. And we had a band in school called the Ikiokis, which was 
crazy. And then I was at college when punk was out. So I had Carol and the Slim Boys was my punk band. Uh, and then we did Polyester and Acrylics, which was a very interesting uh, band. <laughs> and then um, when I came to Bristol uh, and I started the business, one of the companies I worked with is, uh, was a, um, a theatre company. And the woman who ran the theatre company was leaving. And so we thought we'd put a band together. And it was just when Duran Duran were coming out. We were going to be called Sadie because Shardy had come out as well, but we didn't call it Sadie. We called it um, Doreen Doreen. And we played three songs all night, and that was great. And then came the minor strike. And so we used to do gigs to fund the minor strike in Wales, send the Welsh miners money. So that was another great thing. And then uh, when my business was 10 years old, which was 91, we put a concert on to our clients. So uh, my husband, Tony, at the time said, um, you're weird, he says, Carol, inviting people to party, locking them in the room and singing to them. That's not, that's like weird. Yeah? And I carried on that tradition. So out of that, out of that party, came the new formula of Doreen Doreen because the man who did the mixing really liked the band and said, you need a better guitarist. Can I be the guitarist? So he worked with me for 25 years. And then on my 60th birthday, we had a little bit of a falling out. And lo and behold, Doreen Doreen 2.0 started in uh, January 2016, right? And it's amazing now. It is absolutely amazing. And we uh, do sell-out gigs in Bristol. We're a 10-piece band. So it's guitar, drums, bass, and keyboard. And then there is five of us at the front that sing. So girl singers. And we take turns for the solos. And it's a whole theat theatrical night out. And we do mashups of songs that don't go together like Gaga and Coldplay, or we do a Barry Manilow mashup, or we do Hello mashups. There's all songs with the word hello in, from Adele to the Beatles to to Kurt Cobain, you know. So it's like a real mix of things, and it's got a cult following here. And for since about 1994, I've played Glastonbury, not, not every year. We had a bit of a few years off in the middle. But for the past few years, we've played Glastonbury and we found out the day before lockdown that we were going to play this year. And um, we play on a stage called the Summerhouse Stage, which is in the theatre and circus tent. And we're the last live music on the site every single night. And it's the show starts at 12 o'clock and goes on till half past one in the morning. And people come running from the other stages to come to it. And the, the first night, which is the Friday, I think it was, um, there was quite a few people there. And they've got lights that go to the music. There's a guy with fire and he does it to the music. By the end of the last one on the Sunday night, he's got it off to the tea. And it's like Coldplay on the stage. Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> the lights are going to the music and people are screaming. And as far as you can, back, as far as you can go back and... It's just amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. And but it's I don't, I don't actually like Glastonbury. <laughs> <laughs> just drop that because, one in there. Because although I'm sort of chatty and 
an extrovert. I'm quite introverted. And Phil will tell you at his podge things, I'm not that good at mingling with folk. I'm all right when we're in a group of five or six of you on a table. But when you're standing around before you go and sit down, I, I struggle with that as, as a personality. Well, you always hunt down my wife, Babs. You hunt no, sit, Yeah, Babs and I sit because we, we just... A little, a little gang of people that you feel really comfortable with. That's yeah. what you want to be. And Deborah, if Deborah's there, yeah, we'll sit with her. And so, I find the small talk hard. I also think people judge you how you are. Do you see what I mean? Um, old enough to be some of them's granny, definitely <laughs> older than me, most of them's mum. And I know more than all of them. And they all would like to do what I do, but because they judge you how you are, don't want to. Take me more. So Phil getting me to come and sing when I do that um, thing has given me a bit more street cred because you, you bigs me up there. There, and the people who know what I'm like are the ones I'm interested in chatting to. Well, anyway, I was, I was interested that well, in your moments of sadness, if you like, when you're in lockdown and you'll be in a hotel room or wherever. And you always seem to have your ukulele close at hand. Yeah. And you'll just sing a little song Mm -hmm. to the people that you're linked into, just a little. Yeah. And it's always just like really. And people loved it. And people were crying and stuff. And I drove my partner, Sharon, mad because, um, (laughs) because in the middle of the lockdown, she says, if you don't put that effing ukulele down i'm gonna wrap the fucking thing around your neck <laughs> so just stop it it goes on and on and on and so you know what i mean and our house is quite big but where you could hear it because it comes down the stairwell do you, do you see what i mean there was nowhere to go and you you can't like do a dummy keyboard like you can on a keyboard because it's quite loud yeah but but i bought it um from when I was traveling in America so that I wouldn't go at the bars because what I was doing is going to meetings, often dining on my own because I'd be in the middle of somewhere like Texas or somewhere. And I would end up just sitting in the bar talking to some sad Americans, not sort of getting off with them or anything, lads, don't get the wrong idea, (laughs) but just sort of like chatting to folk and having drinking too much and then feeling terrible. So I thought I can't take my guitar with me uh, because it's too bulky. So I took, bought a ukulele i bought it in austin texas this ukulele and it's a beautiful thing and it's helped me to get through the loneliness and the uh, boredom in the hotel rooms and i i I just used to bang out tunes and then i started banging out tunes and changing the lyrics a bit bit like that and then i brought the the act as part of the act in the band do you see what i mean so that's brilliant and i bought people many many people is gonna hate me for saying what I'm about to say, but have you got your ukulele with you now? I have. I've got my ukulele. Austin ukulele. What? What's the shortest number that we can squeeze in? Here? Quick. Um, well, it's Christmas, isn't it? Silent night, holy night, all is calm. All is bright Round yon virgin Mother and child Holy infant so tender and mild Sleep in heavenly peace Sleep in heavenly peace 
There's no end to this woman's talents. Absolutely brilliant. Now, so where are you going to be playing next? When's it all going to start again, do you think? And will it be Bristol likely? I've just had a meeting before this uh, with my sound guy. Because in December, we are... Um, think we're going to do a streaming Doreen Doreen concert where you buy tickets and what we're trying to work out is if if the lockdown rules change we could maybe have 20 pairs of tickets for sale and we do it as a as a as a lottery and so people can buy the tickets and whoever 20 gets out pulled out the hats will get the tickets and everybody else who's put in for the tickets can watch the live streaming thing and they can type in questions and things. So we're just trying to figure out how to do that at the moment. If we can't do the 20 tickets because you're not allowed to have more than five friends, we can't do Doreen doing because there's 11 of us. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so yeah, can do it in two halves on two tables. <laughs> um, but uh, if we can't do that, then we'll just do a concert and you have to pretend you've got a crowd in front of you. But uh, it's it's... It's a lot of fun with your clothes on, Doreen Doreen. Dan, Dan, you will have to come and watch them when it's things are back to normal because they're amazing. 100%, I was going to say. It's either a trip to Bristol or a trip to Glasgow. Yeah. Yes. One, one of the two, but I'm there. I'm there. Now, we talked about multi-award winning global consultancy. Talked about Doreen Doreen. Not, not, you're not content with just that. I hear, or from what I understand, you decided to open Bristol's first crab kitchen a yeah. few years back and it was a bit of a hit apparently so come on how on earth did carol's crab kitchen surface what is that all about well um when when i was when i was little uh we used to have a caravan uh, down in six miles from my house and i used to go crabbing with my dad and we used to get crabs and we used to clean them my mum taught me how to clean them and we just loved it and my father used to buy crabs off the fishermen as well and so as a big crab, I love the taste of crab, much better than lobster. And in America, when I started going to America and traveling, particularly on the East Coast below Washington, uh, it's Maryland is famous for crabs. And I got well into American crabs as well and realized that it's a great uh, trend that's going to happen. And uh, one of the guys in the band, Des, Desmond Rogers, is a chef as well as a musician. And I talked to him about it. And he says, oh, my friend Ben, who's got a restaurant in Bristol, wants to have a crab shack because he'd been to America as well. And Des said to him, you can't have a crab shack without Carol. So we met up and we he's the most trendy person in the world with sort of like one of them big beards like trendy beards like that in loads of tattoos and I'm like his mum my mum older than his mum actually and we met and we hit it off and we created uh in three weeks a whole menu in Carol's Crab Shack we did the I did the graphics uh, myself and we we um designed it here we had signs done we created a menu and the menu is all songs that Doreen Doreen sing we had for the opening. We had some of the band singing, and some of the band um, serving the, at the tables, and it was phenomenal success. And it was in the top ten cheap places to eat in Bristol within two weeks. Wow! And start to finish, from planning it to when it was no planning, it was just 
botching it up as he went from planning it to uh, opening it was three weeks. Um, I was the only one who could dress the crabs. I had to teach the um, the chef how to dress the crabs, and that was um, funny because he didn't really like crab. And uh, I was the only one who would go and get the crabs. So I had a, at the time I had a, um, an F type jag. <laughs> and I had two blue I- IKEA bags with with seventy crabs in the back of this car, <laughs> seventy grand car with seventy live crabs like crawling in the back of my boot, mm-hmm. and I had to put them in the house in my bath, in the bathtub. Well, Sharon, my partner, is allergic to crab, <laughs> so I would have to, I'd have to take my clothes off in the uh, when I got at the door because we were living in a tiny flat because your house was getting done up, put my clothes into the tum- washing machine, have a shower, then put the crabs in the bath and go before she got up because she would, she would get like allergic to her crabs and she would swell up. <laughs> 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 and that was uh, the crab shack. And it was at the end of the day, I couldn't, it needed me to be there all the time and I couldn't do it. Uh, in May, just gone, they were having a Bristol Food Festival and we were bringing it back for one day only. I was going to do one of those, you know, Janet Jackson microphones, crab shack demonstrations, at the thing which would have been great. Uh, but that was cancelled because of the COVID. But uh, yeah, I'm a big, I'm, I'm, my life with crabs is my story, is going to be my autobiography, I think. <laughs> I know you're itching to get a copy of it, Dan. I tell you what, I know I'm, I'm just itching in general listening to that story, but it's absolutely brilliant. Now going back to home, like I know one of the things you say is that spontaneity is the key to home success, and the stories you've shared about going to America and the crabs and the band—you've really grabbed hold of opportunities and moments and been spontaneous, and you've made moments. You know, just grabbed hold of moments, you've made them. But any advice you can give to those people listening right now? you know, that might need a bit of a bit of inspiration right now. Like, for example, I know after all, home grew more than 40%, I think it was, in the last recession. So, again, you seem to be able to turn this into an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Any words of wisdom? In, any words in, of advice? In, in America is nearly 70% of our business. Wow. Which is amazing. And we haven't got, a, we haven't got an office there. We haven't got an office there. Um, the thing that you do to sell, you've got to believe in it, you know. You've got to... I could not never been a packaging designer or anything like that because your work ends up in the bin. Now, if you're a packaging designer, your work ends up in the bin, right? With you know, it makes people wealthy. Um, this my thing is is generally from the heart. I love people and want people to have a better time at work, and I want people to understand why they come to work. And so, the thing that you're selling is genuine. And and when I went to America. Geordie uh, in in America, uh, my story was true to people, you know, and and that was great. And follow your intuition, you know. If you've got a hunch, try it, but don't try it to bankrupt your business, which is what I nearly did. <laughs> but, you know, I just knew that we had to be there and we just needed the lucky break and we did it, you know. And my accountant, my accountant finance guy at the time, he was so against me going. And I bloody loved ringing him up and saying, bet you're glad we went to America now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, Brilliant. you know, it's my business partners now are all about plans and such and such. And such. 
just do it, Karen, see what happens. That's what I did with the Crab Shack. You know, just went for it and see what happens. So went to America without a real plan and it was like crazy, but it worked. But I do realise that if I'd had a plan, it might have been even better, but you know. That's brilliant. Or it might have failed. <laughs> could have failed, you know. Uh, yeah. it's, what, what could have, but could have, could have, would have, should have. Uh, it was sad um, when Jackie Chelton died this year and Bobby Styles more recently. Mm-hmm. But you grew up in the same town as Bobby and Jack and Charlton, you've ended up in the West Country. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular reason why your your business is in that part of the world now? And do you find that by being in the West Country that it's it's a place where you can keep staff and attract the right people? I've I've, I've I'd never been to Bristol before I got a job here. Never been, and um, I came here because. The job was uh, not a, in a commercial place because I, I, I wanted to work with artists. And so I came for a job in an art gallery as a designer. That was why I came here. And I fell in love with the place because of, of the music and the heritage of the place. Do you see what I mean? It's quite like Newcastle. Bristolians are quite like Newcastle people, really, but they're more money. Is that the right word? They're like they're like mourners, and you know what I mean. Don't really like people getting on, sort of people. Whereas in the northeast, it's 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 different, you know. But to have a Geordie accent down here in the eighties was quite a good thing to have, you know. Mm. Like if you remember, in sort of like mid eighties, all adverts either had a Geordie accent or a Scouser accent because they were more appealing. And honestly, you'd buy from somebody with a Geordie accent, you know. Or a, Scouser accent. So I think that appealed to people. I'm an adopted Bristolian, I guess. Amazing. We actually interviewed last week or two weeks ago. Uh, I don't know whether you'd know, know him, Gary Mabbott. Like he was captain of Tottenham Hotspur and played for England. Amazing, amazing guy. But he's also a Bristolian and got that really nice Bristol accent that mm-hmm. they've all got up there. So, yeah, down here. I think our podcast episodes are a collection of accents. Yeah, Colle- you know, collection of stories and accents. We should rename it. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories uh, and accents of yeah. wonderful people. Yeah. Next in the pipeline, Carol is is Gordon Young from the from the drum. So oh, yeah, as a Scottish bloke. We might need that on. <laughs> we might need a translator for Gordon. <laughs> but no, no. Yeah, it's exciting. So, so Carol, a couple more questions. We could talk to you all day. I'm, I'm sure you've got so many more stories and. It's been so cool to hear some of your, your highs and lows of life. But obviously, we're in a particular period and, and, and things are a bit depressing around us. But what's the last thing that you saw that you thought, that's wonderful? I've um, loved the genius of normal people on the internet, right? Um, I've got a, a lass that I know. She only know her through Doreen Doreen. Her name is Zoe. And just a single mum. And I think she's really, really funny. And she's coming to her own over the lockdown with her homeschooling. And she hasn't made it as TikTok. She's just done these films. And she's, she just put a thing up when it said, uh, it's maths today. Um, our son's called Ethan. It's maths today, Ethan. Measure out 20%, right? So he gets a glass and he pours in vodka. <laughs> 20%. And he says, right, now put in 
80 percent right so she just so she did his maths was vodka <laughs> then it was um then she did another one and it was going it's testing the uh, fire alarms testing today and she was in a kitchen drinking and her kids were at the bottom of the garden <laughs> you know how you got <laughs> and then she did we're doing winter olympics today and she turned the kids uh, the stairs, she put cardboard boxes down the stairs, opened up flat, and she had the kids doing the luge, but in their sleeping bags going down. <laughs> and I just think there's so many people are singing songs and doing daft stuff like that. But she deserves a mention because she's a, ge- she's a genius. And there was hundreds of those things, but they're the three that I thought were great. Yeah. And they made me smile and I shared them with folk. And she's a single mom and she's a nurse and Brilliant. a great lassie. She's not the the little one that's your the lead singer, the one with the powerful. No, no, no voice. she's not. She's not in my band. She just comes to um, she comes to concerts. Do you oh, see what I mean? And yeah. the, these people who come to concerts to make friends with the band, and yeah. so you see their posts on Instagram and and uh, Facebook and stuff. And here's what's particularly funny. Just before Dan comes in with the final question, and something that. You've normally got a smile on your face and you normally always see like the fun side of something, the good side, but you've had a bit of a a funny old few weeks, haven't you, where you were kicked out your own house. You, have you got time to just tell us that story? Because Well, my, um, my home became a living metaphor for the whole situation going on here. I literally had a living shit show. In that I live in a, a grade one listed, um, beautiful Georgian house in Bath. And we had one toilet that when you flush the toilet, the other one bubbled up. And I thought this one day, it was a Friday, I'll ring up the uh, sort of, it wasn't Dynarod, it was a Dynarod type business. It, big, nice ads on, in, uh, on Google and stuff. Um, I rang them to come and fix it and they came. And the guy came and we got beige carpets in a house. And so I looked at his, looked a bit scruffy. So I gave him some of them shoe condoms that you get. I don't know whether you've seen them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like blue things. So you put them on and he went upstairs and I was sitting working at the kitchen table, some 12 foot marble table, right? And I heard this whooshing, like whooshing above my head. And I said, that's a bit loud. It must have been really blocked or something. And then all of a sudden through my... um. Tom Dixon lamps, I've got these glo- globule lamps of beautifulness, was brown water coming out of the ceiling. So I, I've got velvet chairs, got rid of the velvet chairs away from the room and got a bucket and put it in there. And this guy came down and he had poo all down my carpets because <laughs> he had got poo on the back of his, above the blue condom socks and on the blue condoms. He'd used my white company towels as... as Picking up the mess, he had shitey hands all over the doors and everything. And um, the poo went through the ceiling and also went through the wall down to the living room and on the floor below, right in the middle of the living room, putting brown floor juice or toilet juice, as I'm going to call it, for want of a better word, in there. <laughs> just, he says, look, I, I need a different rod. I'll just shut the bathroom door. Don't go in there. And I'll come back tomorrow and fix it. Well, when I went up there, I could have wept. There was just everywhere was poo. Oh no! So we've we've had it 
semi-fixed now. I'm waiting for the insurance to, to claim from the insurance, but it's like £75,000 worth of damage. My God. New carpets everywhere. Oh, new, oh well. New, new chairs, new Tom Dixon lights. The table was okay. We were lying in bed and the ceiling fell in <laughs> in the middle of this thing. It was like, it was it was a proper shit show. Yeah. A metaphor for the lockdown life. And that, where, are, where are you doing this interview from now? I'm in the office now. This oh, is you are, our, you're back. Quiet. We've got like padded walls for noise. Yeah. Thingy me jiggy. <laughs> uh, and we've got we're in the, I'm in the office now and oh. uh I'll be in the office probably tomorrow, I think. So I've got an office I can use a different opening to the guy who's working here who hasn't got anywhere to work. That phrase will never mean the same thing to me again. Mm -hmm. I'll always remember that story whenever mm -hmm. someone says that. It was it was just horrendous. You got no, you know, and Sharon is very, very, very particular. And when he was using white company jumbo bath sheets at 75 quid at pop to mop up the poo on the marble floor. <laughs> you've got no idea. And then he put the toilet back and he'd put like a bit of toilet paper between the toilet in the back wall. And you hadn't even cleaned the back of the thing. That... Oh. <laughs> I've got I've got a final question, and I think I might know the answer, although I'm not actually sure. Because as an agency, we're all about making complex things wonderfully simple. What's one of life's complexities you'd like to see made simpler? Well, it's very, 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 very topical. The American the American uh, voting system. I don't know what's going on, but give Joe the job. <laughs> get rid of the get rid of the orange man. Get give Joe the job. I am one hundred percent with you there. Yeah, because I can't understand how they do the votes. Really, can you? No, no, no I no. do not understand. It. Just just do a tick for Joe or a tick for. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There's a very topical one indeed. Absolutely brilliant, Carol. We've Thank you for it. having Thank me. Sharing all those private bits with us as well. <laughs> <laughs> That was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Carol Whitworth. Thank you very much, and I'll see you one day, Dan. I'll see you soon, Phil. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for tuning in to the Wonderful People podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wonderful Creative Agency. Find out more at bewonderful.co.uk.